This morning, I just want to continue with our Holy Spirit series. Our Holy Spirit series, that is the series that we have been busy with this past few weeks. And I trust that you have seen great growth in your life uh, through the power of the Holy Spirit. So this morning, we are continuing, like I said, and we will be speaking this morning about fact that we need to be led by the Spirit. So, the subject this morning is led by the Spirit. <clears throat> you can say being led by the Holy Spirit. Just turn to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. We will be dealing this morning with Romans chapter 8 from verse 1 and then we will conclude verse 15, 16 and 17. Romans chapter 8. Let us pray. Father, we are grateful this morning that we can just hear your word we can adhere to it that we can draw closer to you and the closer to you the more holier we become the more transformation we experience and i pray this morning lord in jesus name to those who are listening live to those who will listen after this i pray lord that this word may transform and change them inwardly and outwardly I pray this morning in Jesus' name, my God, as I speak the oracles of Jesus Christ this morning, I pray that you have your will and your way, not only in my life, but in the life of others as well. I pray that you speak to me, Holy Spirit, and that you speak through me. Guide us into all truth in Jesus' name. Amen. I said we will deal with Romans chapter 8 from verse 1 to verse 17 and the subject that we will be speaking about is led by the Spirit. Now, before I, I get into the specific text that I mentioned, Romans 8 from verse 1 to 17, I, I will not do it any justice unless I go back a few chapters and just give a brief summary towards the build-up it leads to this specific scripture so when, when we look at the letter of Romans which the Apostle Paul wrote when we look at the letter of the Romans the Apostle Paul in writing to the Roman church in this letter addressed a few concerns to a church that is said at this stage to have a mix of Jewish and Gentile Christians. So this is a church that has two groups. We have Jewish Christians and then we have Gentile Christians. Now, when we say Jewish, we are referring to those of the nation of Israel, the descendants of Abraham. And then we also have Gentiles in this church, Gentile Christians, and when we use the word Gentile, when Paul speaks about the word Gentile in Romans, 
he refers to everyone that was not Jewish, to those who are non-Jewish. So in other words, the Jews, everyone who were outside of their circle were seen as Gentiles. All the nations of the world were seen as Gentiles if they were not Jewish. So this church had a mix of these two groups. But bear in mind that these two groups are both Christians, but the cultural background is different. The one culture is Jewish and then we have Gentiles, different cultures that is non-Jewish. Now, because of these two different cultures, we have two groups that has tension between each other because of cultural background. So Paul first opens the letter by proclaiming to this church God's righteous judgment against sinners. If you look at chapter 1, you will see that in chapter 2. He, he opens the letter by proclaiming God's righteous judgment against sinners. And, and while Paul proclaims this righteous judgment of God against sinners, Paul also addresses both Jews and Gentiles. He addresses both these two groups. Those who come from a cultural perspective of Jewish and those who come from a cultural perspective of being Gentiles. Paul addresses both these two groups. And while he addresses them, he, he gives clarity. He basically gives clarity to show that God has no partiality. That God shows no partiality when it comes to his righteous judgment. So bear in mind that when Paul spoke to them, this was a very important thing because even for us, even when it comes to us, we will see that God shows no partiality when it comes to judgment. And therefore, I want to say this morning, God's judgment itself is not clouded by favoritism. God's judgment is not clouded by favoritism. If you can just write that down as well or type that down. God's judgment is not clouded by favoritism. It is driven by righteousness. So for the fact that it's not clouded by favoritism, it is driven by righteousness. And therefore, God does not tolerate favoritism. If you don't believe me, you can read in the book of James. In James chapter 2 verse 1, the word of God says, James speaks to the church and he says, My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. So God does not tolerate partiality even in his church. He does not tolerate that. So whenever partiality is shown within a church, it is sin, it is evil, it is wrong. Because it is biblical that God does not tolerate favoritism. In fact, partiality is an enemy to any church. I'm going to say that again. Partiality, favoritism, is an enemy to any church. And therefore, things such as racism can never be welcomed in a church because God does not tolerate favoritism. He says it in His Word. So Paul makes it clear that we deal with a righteous God. Hence, he argues in the beginning of the letter 
with the Jews that it is not through the listen to this it is not through the hearing of the law that one is made righteous it is rather the doers of the law that are being made righteous it is not the hearers of the law but rather the doers of the law that is being made righteous now 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 speaking about the law and righteousness as i'm speaking about the law and righteousness paul makes it clear to the church that you cannot be justified by deeds or by works if you look at chapter 4 and chapter 3 you will see paul speaks about the fact that you could not be justified by your deeds now to the jewish people this was a huge thing to be justified by deeds because remember they kept the ceremonial rights that we spoke about the other day in the levitical law in leviticus chapter 23 we spoke about them they kept all those things and that's why remember when jesus spoke to them regarding prayer he said to them that they should not pray as the hypocrite hypocrites pray and he also spoke to them regarding fasting saying that they do not do it for others but they should do it for themselves and and it's between them and god because to them it was more about uh, people seeing what they were doing and to them it was more about deeds and, and, and keeping the Sabbath and all those things but Paul comes to this people and Paul speaks to the Jewish Christians here and he says the law is only the knowledge of sin so you cannot be justified by deeds because the law is only the knowledge of sin however humanity being justified before God may only come through faith in Jesus Christ. I need you to get that. That the law is only the knowledge of sin. It helps you to acknowledge sin. But faith comes through Jesus Christ. And therefore, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one goes to the Father except through me and they had to understand this as Jews that there's only one way through the Father and it is through Jesus Christ our Lord for you see I, I need to say this rules without real faith in Jesus Christ is just religion let me say that again rules without real faith in Jesus Christ is just religion it, it will always point out the problems but it will never have the power to change the narrative it will always make sure that you know because the, the law is the knowledge of sin so it will always point out the problem religion will say this is the problem that is the problem this is the problem that is the problem but it will never have the power to change the narrative and only jesus christ can change the narrative only he can change that because the law was the knowledge of the disease and jesus is ultimately the cure of that disease you see paul paul proves to to these two groups to this christian church we rather say that he proves to them that that jesus was the cure but not by not only showing them the blessing through Abraham in chapter 4 of Romans but by Christ fixing once and for all what Adam did wrong in Romans chapter 5 you see he proves to them that the grace of God has victory over sin in chapter 6 Paul proved to them 
That, that whatever Adam did wrong, Jesus Christ came and he fixed that. And therefore, grace is much more powerful than the law that points out the sin. Because grace came when Jesus Christ hung on the cross, gave himself for us, and the power of his blood cancelled everything that went wrong with Adam and grace. And therefore, Paul says, where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. So, so since we obtain the grace of God through Him giving His only begotten Son for us, we are no longer under the law that is only the knowledge of sin, but we are under grace. But Paul also makes clear that because we are under grace, that that does not mean that we have to take advantage of that grace, but we have to be obedient as an appreciation of that grace. In other words, when God gives you grace, that's why Paul said earlier in Romans chapter chapter 3, when God gives you grace, that grace is supposed to lead you to repentance because that's the kindness of God. So since the law is the knowledge of sin, it is not sin itself, but it is the knowledge of sin. And since it is only dead, Paul asked the question, who will deliver the wretched man, the wretched person from his or her sinful state? And he gives the answer in chapter 7 of Romans by saying it is Jesus Christ, our Lord, who will deliver that person. And because Jesus is the answer to that question, he starts in chapter 8 by saying, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And now it makes sense. Because normally we just start with that verse and we we most of the time use it out of context. But now it makes sense what Paul speaks about. And he says, since we are under, under grace and no longer under the knowledge of sin, but since we have overcome sin, there is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. In other words, Paul speaks about a transition. You see, this is the transition from the knowledge of sin. To having victory over sin in the dispensation of grace. For we must be careful to think, and, and, and this is very important, we must be careful to think that this specific scripture means that we can do as we please. Remember the book of Judges says in those days every man did what was right in his own eyes. And, and, and we must be careful to do what is right in our own eyes by uh, uh, saying that there is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Meaning that I can just accept Christ as Lord and save and after that I can live the way I want to. Because there's now no condemnation and that's not what the text means. But this is rather a transition from the knowledge of sin to the dispensation of grace, which leads us to obedience and not to disobedience. For you will still be judged according to what you do on this earth, because God's God's judgment is righteous judgment. You see, grace is not a lifeline to sin. And I think I said it earlier this week on Facebook. Grace is not a lifeline to sin. It is the victory that helps you overcome sin. So in other words, grace is not there 
for you to say, let me do this. I know the grace of God abounds much more. But it is rather there so it can lead you into the pathway of righteousness. Because since we are in the dispensation of grace, now we can live the spirit-filled life instead of the life of sin and death. And therefore, there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. For, for we are more than overcomers now, since we are in the dispensation of grace. And then in verse 2, Paul goes on and he says, Romans 8 verse 2, For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. See, Paul speaks regarding the transition from the law of Moses that discovered sin. And he speaks about the transition of moving from there to the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is the law of the spirit of life that brings deliverance from that sin. So, so, so you have to transition from the one to the other in your life. Very important. So he says to the church, you have to move away from the law of knowledge of sin only. And you have to live in the power and the victory over sin, which is the gospel of Jesus Christ. You see, he refers to it as the law of the spirit of life, the gospel of Jesus Christ. In other words, the gospel of Jesus did not come to bring condemnation, but deliverance from evil. It is the good news of Jesus Christ. And therefore, Jesus, when speaking to Nicodemus, he said, uh, for God so loved the world in John 3 verse 16. He said, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whomsoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. But then in verse 17, which is very much ignored after verse 16, he says, for the Son of Man did not come to condemn the world, but he came that the world may be safe. Eh, for there's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You see, the gospel of Jesus Christ brings deliverance from evil. You see, it is the law of the spirit of life that is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes. And therefore, Paul was not ashamed of it because he moved from the knowledge of sin to the power of God. That is salvation to everyone that believes. And then he continues in Romans 8 verse 3. And Paul says to the church, For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending his own son listen to this by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin he condemns sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh but according to the spirit you see, the law could not pardon sin. So God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do, says the Apostle Paul. In other words, the law could not pardon sin. 
It could not sanctify people. It could not sanctify the Jews. The law could point out the sin. Thou shalt not. But it could not deliver people from that sin. So, so when Jesus came into the picture as the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world, sin was defeated. Because when Jesus came, he changed the narrative. And therefore, if you look at the law in Leviticus 23, and we spoke about it last week when we spoke about uh, promise, purpose, and power, we spoke about the Levitical law in Leviticus chapter 23, and we spoke about the rights that was done in the ceremonial laws that was kept by the Israelites. If you look at the Day of Atonement, which is called in Hebrew Yom Kippur, if you look at it where they made a yearly sacrifice to atone for the, for the, for the sins of the people, that only became a repetition of religion. Let me say that again. It only became a repetition of religion because the mindsets of the people started being we, we can go wrong and then we just can, we can just atone so it became repetition of religion so therefore jesus said to them i did not came to abolish the law but i came to fulfill the law in other words that it may no longer just operate in knowledge and religion only but in spirit and in truth because he is the way, the truth, and the life. So Jesus came that the law may be fulfilled. For religion without Christ is dead. Which brings me to us. For you see, even if a church neglect, if a church neglects worshipping in spirit and in truth, it will become a repetition of religion without Christ. Let me repeat that. If a church does not worship the Father in spirit and in truth, it becomes a repetition of religion without the Christ. And if this transition that we spoke about, moving from the, know, the knowledge of sin to the power of the gospel, if that transition does not happen, how can you walk in the spirit? How can you walk in the spirit? For if that does not happen, you will walk according to the flesh of whatever the body wants that you will do. But whatever the spirit wants that you will not do. You see, if this transition does not happen, the flesh will be in charge, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. You see, you will have a form of godliness. You will look holy, you will look powerful, but you will deny the power thereof. God knows what is in the heart of man and he will know that you are not walking in the power of the Spirit. You see, you will have the knowledge of the Word but denying the power thereof. You will have the ability to pray religiously, but denying the power thereof. You will proclaim to everyone, everywhere that you are fasting today, but denying the power thereof. You will sit in a position in church religiously, but denying the power thereof. 
You will read the Bible and you will tell the whole world that you have read the Bible from Genesis 1 to Revelation chapter 22, the last verse, but denying the power thereof and still not being transformed. It is important that we move from the knowledge of the law of sin to the power of the gospel and be transformed. You see, Romans chapter 8, verse 5, Paul speaks and he says to the church, For those who live according to the flesh, set their minds, very important, those who live according to the flesh, set their minds on things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit, set their minds on the things of the Spirit, referring to the Holy Spirit, not the Spirit of man inside of him, but referring to the Holy Spirit. And, 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 and this is very important because mindset is the key to transitioning from the knowledge of sin to victory over sin. Mindset is the key because the body is vulnerable to sin. The flesh is vulnerable to sin, but the Holy Spirit has power over it. And, and in order for us to tap into that power, the mind needs to be set on the things of God and not on the things of this world. Let me, let me repeat that. In order for us to tap into the Holy Spirit power, the mind needs to be set on the things of God and not on the things of this world. We need to be Christ-like minded. Your, your desire, in other words, should shift from the bodily experience to a spiritual one. You, you should desire the things that the Holy Spirit desires for you. And what is that? There is that goodness and mercy follow you all the days of your life. But it is up to you. You must choose. You need to set your mind on the things of God. And therefore Joshua made a brilliant statement. He said, you choose today whom you will serve. Make up your mind. So it is important for you to make up your mind. It's important. And that's where the transition comes. Your thinking needs to become subjected to the will of the Holy Spirit. Your thinking needs to become subjected to the will of the Holy Spirit. And once that happened, you understand what Jesus meant when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, when he said he was grieved, he was, he was stressed because of what was going to happen on the cross. And I'm paraphrasing. And then he said, not my will, but your will be done. In Romans chapter 8 verse 6, Paul says to them, for to set, and he gives the reason, for to set, on, for to set the mind on the flesh, is death but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace beautiful life and peace for the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile very important look at that word is hostile to god for it does not submit to god's law indeed it cannot look at that word as well hostile cannot very two important words and we're going to speak about that now you see I, i'm saying to you this morning it is to your advantage. Again, remember we spoke about being, being at advantage last week. We said it is to your advantage that the Holy Spirit came. And I'm going to say it again this morning. It is to your advantage that the choice 
to set your mind on the will of God for yourself. It is to your advantage because it is life and peace. See, the carnal nature is death. In other words, it is condemnation. For condemnation to be cancelled, you need to cross the bridge. And that bridge is called repentance, which means to change your mind. In order for you to move from this part to that part, that bridge is called repentance. It is renewal of the mind to change one's mind. Paul says that the mind is set on the, he says to them, their mind is set on the flesh. In other words, the mind that is set on sinning is hostile to God. Now, other translations does not use hostile, but they use the word enmity instead of hostile, which means it is opposition or hatred to God. In other words, the mind that is determined to sin proclaims opposition or hatred toward God. Such mindset has no regard to obedience to God's will. While it is set on personal pleasure, it cannot be subjected to God's will. In other words, while, while, while the thinking is still to gratify the body, the will of God cannot take place in the life of such person. Then in, in verse 8, Paul says to them, for those who are in the flesh, very important, cannot please God. You see, it is often quoted in Hebrews 11 that without faith it is impossible to please God. But, but I'm also saying this morning what Paul is saying here. Not only in that manner is it, is it impossible to please God, but while being subjected to your own will in your life, it also makes it impossible to please God. For every time when the word cannot be used, for every time when the word cannot be used in this context, the word it, and I'm referring to that word, every time the word it is impossible in this context is used, it means you cannot. In other words, remember what Jesus said? Jesus said, you cannot serve God and mammon. You cannot, which means it is impossible. You have to choose one or the other. So in other words, it is impossible to choose the two. You will have to make a choice. Being double-minded makes you an unstable person. You cannot please God while the will is still that of the flesh, the desire is to sin. Then in Romans 8 verse 9, he says, You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If, the, in, if in fact the spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. 
So Paul is referring to the church here now. And he says those who accepted Christ as Lord and Savior. Those who, are, those who made the transition from flesh to spirit. He says, however, you are not in the flesh, but you are in the spirit. You see the if here does not mean Paul has uncertainty that they have received the Holy Spirit. But what he's saying to them here is that since they have received the Holy Spirit, since they have received the Holy Spirit, that was what he's actually saying to them. They are no longer overcome by the desires of the flesh, but they are living completely for the will of God. For you see, those who are, who are filled with the Holy Spirit, belongs to God but those who are not filled with the Spirit does not belong to Him according to what Paul said. I didn't say it according to what Paul said. Those who does not have the Holy Spirit, those who, who, who does not have the infilling of the Holy Spirit does not belong to God. And this is the clear distinction between the church and the world. Because it is easy to say that we are all children of God but it is very important to understand this text. That after repentance comes the infilling of the Holy Spirit. After you giving your heart to God comes the infilling of the Holy Spirit. And that is your seal of approval that you belong to Him. Because now you are no longer desiring what the flesh desires, but what the Spirit desires for your life. See, to those who accepted Christ as Lord and Savior, yielding completely to His will, the Holy Spirit dwells within them. And, and since He dwells within them, the body is dead to sin. Sin is no longer their desire, but Christ is their desire in His righteousness. And therefore, David could pray, and David could speak in Psalm 23 and he would say, Lead me into the pathway of righteousness for whose sake? For your name's sake. Speaking to God. Because it was no longer David's will, but God's will be done in his life. In Romans 8 verse 11, Paul then speaks, he says to them, If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dwell dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through the Spirit who dwells in you. So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. In other words, if the Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, indeed you are no longer a debtor to sin, because Jesus paid the price. So there's no need for us to be slaves to sin any longer, because the price was paid. So spiritual death and condemnation are no longer our portion, since Christ paid the price for us. And therefore, I want to declare to you this morning that it is not God's intention for you to die, but for you to live. For even Christ said it when he, when he spoke about him being the resurrection and the life. He said, even if you die in this world, yet shall you live. 
Because after this suffering comes glory, which is a beautiful thing. For everything that the world has to offer, will offer you death. But what, what Christ offers is life and peace. And it is time for us to do ourselves a favor because we have done everyone else a favor. When, 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 when the crew knocked at my door, I've done them a favor by saying, Let us go. I've, I've done everyone else a favor. I've done them a favor. I've done everyone else a favor. And now it's time for me to do myself a favor by choosing life. And that life is Jesus Christ, our Lord and personal Savior. And then Paul says, and I said in the beginning that our subject this morning is called Led by the Spirit. Listen to Paul in Romans 8 verse 14. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. Before I speak about that shortly, I want to read something that Jesus said in John 16 verse 13. Remember we spoke about that the last two weeks. We touched on John chapter 16 where Jesus spoke about the promise of the Holy Spirit. Listen to this, what Jesus said to them. When the spirit of truth comes, in John 16 verse 13, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak of his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. I want you to notice what Jesus called the Holy Spirit. He said he is a guide. The Holy Spirit is the guide unto believers. And what does a guide do? A guide leads. He leads us. So when you receive the Holy Spirit, not only does He dwell within you, but He also leads you. The Holy Spirit is supposed to lead the church before the pastor does. <laughs> Can I say that again? The Holy Spirit is supposed to lead the church before the pastor does, or the apostle, or the bishop, whoever it is. The Holy Spirit is supposed to lead the church before they do. For the pastor, the apostle, whoever it is that leads there in that church, is a recipient of the same grace of the Holy Spirit that you are. For whatever the Holy Spirit speaks, The church should adhere to. Whatever the Holy Spirit speaks, the body of Christ needs to adhere to. And, 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 and I'm, I'm going to say, just as the Jew is no longer more important than the Gentile in this dispensation of grace, so is the Holy Spirit not exclusive. To those who are only in position in church. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh. And the reason 
Why, why I said the subject is called led by the Spirit is the flesh should no longer lead you, but the Spirit should lead you. The flesh is no longer the desire, but the Spirit is. And I'm going to conclude with, like I said in the beginning with verse 15, 16 and 17, going to read that. Paul says, for you do not receive, for you did not receive the spirit of slavery, not referring to the Holy Spirit here, spirit here, attitude. You have not received the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received now the Holy Spirit. You have received the spirit of adoption, a sons by whom we cry. Listen to this. Abba, Father, our Father. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and follow and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Him in order that we may also be glorified with Him. I'm ending by saying, when you give your heart to Jesus Christ, even today, and yield completely to His will, when you make that transition from sin to victory, receiving the Holy Spirit, that our Father, Abba, who art in heaven, instantly changes. Instantly changes you, it transforms you. You are no longer then governed by man-made religion, but by the spirit of adoption as children by whom we cry out, Abba Father. And I guarantee you, when receiving the Holy Spirit, when you become born again after giving your life to Christ, that prayer, it hits different when you start saying, Our Father, who art in heaven. That just changes completely. It is no longer a religious repetition, but it becomes the power of God unto salvation in your life. When you say, Our Father, because you will understand how He took you from death to life.